Welcome to the Grace to Run Your Race conference hosted by Rhema Family Church. Our guest minister is Pastor Lawrence Lim. The Lord Jesus gets all the glory, amen. Yeah, He has saved and transformed me. I will tell you this, that I was at the bottom of the trash. You know, those of you who came for um, the first night, you know, my life was in a complete mess and who I am today is completely by the grace of God. God has given me a life worth living. Amen. A beautiful marriage, three beautiful children. And it's more than that. It is a joy in my heart that I can live every day knowing that He loves me. My sins are forgiven. I'm a new creation, the holy elect of God, beloved in His eyes, accepted always, chosen generation. Amen. Royal priesthood, holy nation. That's who I really am. I don't deserve all this but I get to be all this in His eyes because of what the Lord has done in my life. Amen. I want you to know this, praise God. Grace is um, not a textbook topic that I'm here to share tonight. It's really the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is a person. Amen. It says in Titus chapter 2 that the grace of God has appeared. And because the grace of God has appeared, it is actually a direct reference to our Lord. And it says in John chapter 1, verse 17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by our Lord Jesus Christ. So grace is a person. Amen. The gospel is not about grace, but grace is the gospel. I want you to know this, and it is the very power of God unto salvation. So I don't know who you are, where you're from, but I want you to know this tonight. No matter what you're facing in your life, be it any challenge, maybe there's a huge mountain right before you. I want you to know this, that mountain cannot be greater than the grace of God. God's grace is always greater. Amen. And God loves you. I don't know what your opinion is about God. Maybe you think that God has something against you. Maybe you think that God has something that He doesn't like about you. I want you to know this tonight, that God's heart towards you is love. It says in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's heart is love towards you. The Bible says God is love. He doesn't just have love for you, but everything about God is love. He's defined by love. We all know that God is holy. Everyone knows that. Every religion teaches that, that God is holy. In fact, when Peter, one of the first occurrences when Peter met the Lord was when the Lord gave Peter a net-breaking, boat-sinking load of fishes. And when Peter saw that, what was Peter's response? He said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. You see, when he came into encounter with a supernatural power that he realized is God, he told Jesus, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. So he is aware that with that power, God is holy, and He's afraid of God. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. But that is not God's heart for you today. God's goodness will lead you to repentance, but God doesn't want you to run away from Him. God doesn't want you to tell Him to depart from you. God wants you to run towards Him. This is something that human minds cannot understand logically. You know what I'm saying? If Jesus is to appear right here in this room, right, I think many of us, we may be afraid. 
that would be the natural first human instinct to be afraid of the Holy God. But that is not what God wants you to experience in your heart. God wants you to know that He loves you. Amen. That He's not holding your sins against you. He is for you and not against you. Amen. You need to change your mind about God tonight. I want to challenge your opinion about God. I want you to realize once and for all that God is love. He is good. And He's good towards you. And He wants to do good to you. Amen. The Bible tells us that the mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. It knows no end, my friend. Amen. It says in Lamentations that His mercies, they are new every morning. Amen. His compassions, they fail not. You may fail. You will fail. Can I say that? If not in action, then in word. If not in word, then in thought. If not in thought, then in your inner motives of your heart. We are not perfect and we will not be until the day we are raptured. And we look forward to that day. Amen. And looking forward to that day, the rapture, the Bible tells us, sanctifies us. Can I just quickly say, I will say a lot, okay? Right? <laughs> so if you get it, you get it, right? The rapture sanctifies us. This is a teaching that is kind of like lost. And there are certain grace preachers, they are preaching that, you know, there will not be a rapture. Right? Can I just tell this? There will be a rapture. And we look forward to that rapture. The Bible says we are sojourners in this world. This world is not our home. We are passing through. Our real home is to Jesus in heaven. Look forward to that. And when you have that hope, amen, that hope will sanctify you. It will set you apart in this fallen world that we live in. So let's always have that hope in our hearts, amen. So we look forward to that day where we'll become perfect. But in the meantime, here on earth, when you do fail, the Bible says His compassions, they fail not. You may fail, but His compassions, they will never fail. His mercies are new every morning, amen. You can count on one thing, you can count on the blood of Jesus Christ forgiving every single one of your sins. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. Amen? According to the riches of His grace. My friend, you are forgiven. Whatever it is that you're holding in your heart, maybe you think that God has something against you. My friend, He is completely for you, for your success. It is God's will for you to prosper in all things. That's why it says in 3 John 2, Right, Apostle John was praying for Gaius and he says, My beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things. All things. God wants you to prosper not in one thing, not in some things, but all. Every single area of your life. Amen. Even and be in health, even as your soul prospers. God wants you to be in health. It is God's will for you to be healthy and strong, young and vibrant. Amen. Age is a number. Amen. Renewal of youth comes from the Lord. And it is a literal renewal of youth. And it is found in Psalms 103. And even in Sarah, it is a miracle that at the age of 90 years old, Sarah could give birth. That's a miracle. You know, we read about Janet Jackson. I don't know if you know, like, Janet Jackson is going to give birth, right? Or has she given birth at 50 years old? We think that's amazing. It is amazing. Right, my wife just gave birth at 40, which is amazing. 
right? But Sarah gave birth at 90. It is God. So God can do the impossible, amen? So if you're 90 years old tonight, <laughs> if you are, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, if you want to believe God for a child, come on. <laughs> it's up to you, man. Whatever you want. Amen. Freely you have received, freely give, amen. Sorry, that's just an introduction. I just want to thank uh, Pastor Tony and Pastor Patsy for giving me the great honor to minister the Word of God. Right, you know, we've been friends for many years. I remember when I first preached um, in a youth camp, right, where Liliana and Annalisa were attending. So that's when I realized, hey, all the kids are Asian, but here we have this American kids from where? Right? So I always remember that. And now they're ready. One is married. Liliana is married. Annalisa is serving as a missionary in Shanghai. So, and hey, you two are back together again. Empty nest. It's the best thing I can tell you. I'm looking forward for my three kids to grow up. You know, I was just thinking, right? My youngest daughter is just like four months old. I'm 44. So I'm just thinking, though, let's say she gets married at 23. All right, I'll be 67. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Keep me young. My <laughs> That's a long way to go, right? And I got to work till 67. That's a, that's a, that's a hard thought, man. <laughs> Praise God. But I just wanted to know this. Uh, Pastor Prince spoke with me. Right, he told so me and Lang that there were certain things that he really wanted me to share. I've shared them uh, through the nights, but I'll be sharing some of them tonight. But there's one thing that he said that I must share with Rema Family Church. This is for Rema Family Church. If you're from Rema Family Church, you need to know this. He told me to tell you, right, that you're sitting under a great pastor. Man of God, Pastor Tony. He and Patsy... They gave 10 years of their lives to be here in Australia, in Brisbane, to start a church, to be a blessing to Australia. So I just want to honor you for that, Pastor Tony. Thank you very much for your work and labor of love. And God is not unjust, right? So forget your work. He will reward you. Amen. And great is your reward. I also want to say uh, hi to my very, very dear friend, someone who's been with us for many years. He, he was the New Creation Church even before I was the New Creation Church. I joined in 1995. He probably joined in the 80s, right? He's been a faithful and dear friend to Pastor Prince and to New Creation Church, Reverend Carl Stringer, right? He is... He was there when we were small, when there were 50 members in our church. He was there when people around the world were criticizing our church and our pastor. He stood by us has always been there for us, and He's still with us today. That is faithfulness. Amen. So thank you, Reverend Carl. Right? And also, my friends who are here, uh, Josh, right, and Roxy. Did I get it right? Right? And Pastor Gary and Casey, right, Peter, right, Ash. So thank you uh, for being here. You know, I, I love to preach to friends. <laughs> it's easier. <laughs> the rest of you, I don't know you, right? So... Well, we'll be friends, get to know me. And I'll say this about Australia. Do you know what makes Australia great? Right? I was just, uh, I shared this last night, but this is worth repeating. This is worth repeating. And 
So just hanging out at the hotel. So, you know, Hijun and I were just walking around the hotel. And we realized that what makes Australia a great country is that even in a hotel, you have available barbecue pits. This is it, my friend. Right? This is the nation to live in. Right? You know, you made a choice, right, Pastor Tony, to move to Australia. Man, I wish I can make that choice. <laughs> you can barbecue every single day. And not just that, not just that, you can barbecue kangaroo meat. Woo! That's a blessing, right? It tastes good. It tastes good. But we are not moving to Koala, right? No one, no. Oh, that's horrible. Sorry. <laughs> Too cute. I love, I love koalas. They're so cute, right? But kangaroos, you know, let's eat them. <laughs> There's plenty to go around. There's plenty to go around, amen? <laughs> Praise God. I send you love and greetings uh, from New Creation Church in Singapore, right, from Pastor Joseph Prince. I want you to know this, um, there is a grace revolution that is happening in this world right now. Amen? Whether you know it or you don't know it, God's hand of favor is upon the gospel of grace. Amen? It is His hand of favor. And we know that it is not the work of one man or a few churches or a few preachers. It definitely is the hand of God upon this message. It is an emphasis. And this year is a special year. This year is the year 2017. 50 years ago, in 1967, in the Six-Day War, Israel got back Jerusalem. 50 years ago, from 1967, in 1917, after the First World War, right, General Allenby, he declared that Palestine at that time will return to the Jews. So God works in cycle of 50. Every 50th year, it is a jubilee. Amen. So I believe that this year, 2017, something good is going to happen. In the natural, likely to Israel, and likewise in the spiritual to the church of Jesus Christ as well. And 500 years ago, right, in 15, is it 1517? 1517, right, that was when Martin Luther, right, he came out, right, with the, with the declaration and he said, the just shall live by faith. The Reformation started. You need to understand that for a long time, the church was in the dark ages, right? And because the church was in the dark ages, the truth of the Bible, the gospel was lost. But God restored it through this man, Martin Luther. And this year is a 500 year since the day the Reformation started. Amen? So this year, I'm believing it's going to be a great year. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, uh, I just want to share some things uh, from my heart with you tonight. And also to answer some of the questions. There's only, what, three? Yeah, some of them are, t are tough questions, but we'll go through it, okay? Uh, I just want to share with you, uh, I remember I was in Malaysia sometime last year, right? I was preaching at a conference. And I remember I was preaching um, the first session in the morning, right? So the night before I was preparing. So the time was around, uh, after dinner, about 8 o'clock, I was preparing to preach the next day. And I started to preach, but somehow my mind was not focused. Somehow, there, 
it's like there was a mental block in my mind and I wasn't able to prepare. So I was looking at the clock and the clock was moving faster from 8, it became 9, 10, 11, and it's coming to 12 and it's like there was a mental block and I couldn't prepare for the sermon next day. I'm not sure if the preachers here, you've experienced that before. It was a scary moment. And I was praying and I was like, what's happening? It's like something was just in, in my mind and I just can't seem to focus. I wasn't able to prepare and I was getting tired because I, need, I, I needed to sleep to be ready for tomorrow. So I just decided that, hey, you know, when, when you're in trouble, what do you do? Right? Who do you call? Right? You call your wife. So, <laughs> so I decided, no, I think I better call my wife. I think I need her prayer. <laughs> right? And but I look at the time, I knew it's late, so she could be sleeping with the kids. So I, I just thought, you know what, I'll just send her a text. And if she's awake, you know, she can respond and maybe she can pray for me over the phone. So I was texting her, I was just telling her, you know, dear, I'm preparing a sermon and blah, 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 you know, and I'm facing all this. I don't know what's happening. I can't focus and all that. And as I was about to hit send, I was just reviewing my message, right? And I saw, as I was typing sermon, right, I realized instead of typing sermon, I typed the word demon, okay? And the word demon jumped out at me, you know. Eh, what's this? I wanted to correct it. And suddenly, it dawned upon me that I was under spiritual attack. The reason why I wasn't focused with, you know, it's like, it was a spiritual attack, right? And today I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare. Do you know that spiritual warfare is mentioned in the Bible? Turn with me right now to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Oh, I thought under grace we are at rest. We, Jesus has already won. Yes, Jesus has already won, but we are still... We still have spiritual warfare today. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, first and foremost, reading from this portion of Scripture, which some of you may be familiar with, you realize that spiritual warfare appears and occurs in our minds, in our thoughts. Because it says, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God's knowledge, it is arguments, right? Bringing every thought. So it appears in your thought realm. That's where it starts. The devil attacks the mind of believers today. The spiritual warfare is not with your pastor, my friend. Your enemy is not your mother-in-law. Never, my friend. Even though she seems like she is the enemy, right? But the Bible says we are to love our enemies, right? No. So your enemy is not your mother-in-law. Your enemy is not your pastor. Your enemy is not that neighbor next door. Right? Your enemy is the devil. But where is the warfare fought? It is fought in your mind. Everyone say, mind. That's where it is. Every wrong thought, every thought of fear, worry, condemnation, and guilt, it all 
starts in your mind. And sometimes these thoughts are not from you. They are from the devil. Many times we go through life and suddenly we have a fearful thought that comes in. Even for guys, sometimes we have a thought of anger that arises or a thought of lust that comes into our mind and we think that it is from us. But for understanding this portion of Scripture, you need to realize that the devil can plant thoughts in your minds. That is where the warfare is fought. But how do we win this warfare? What are our weapons? Do we fight with getting real swords and all that? You can't fight with the devil. The warfare is in the mind. You need to fight it in your mind. And it says this, the answer is right there. It says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, when I first read this portion of Scripture, I thought it meant this. I need to bring every thought, every evil thought, every wrong thought about God, every thought of lust, thought of anger, thoughts of sin. I need to bring it into captivity to obey Christ. Does it sound right? But that's not what it says. That's not what it says. Many of us think, I need to bring every wrong thought that I have, I need to bring it to obey Christ. I need to obey Christ in my thoughts. But that is not what it says. It says, I need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There's a difference. Bringing every thought to obey Christ and bringing every thought into the obedience of Christ is a huge difference. The Bible doesn't say that you need to bring every thought to obey Christ. Not that that is not important. But what is the priority is you need to bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. But what is the obedience of Christ? Is it your obedience or His obedience? Clearly, it is His obedience. What about His obedience? It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. But by one man's obedience, referring to our Lord Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. Can you put up that verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 19? I want you to read this for yourself. It says this, For as by one man's disobedience, referring to Adam, the first man, Many will make sinners. But by one man, capital M, referring to the Lord, Jesus Christ, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. What is Christ's obedience? How do I bring every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ? You bring every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ by believing that because of what Jesus Christ has done at the cross, because of His obedience when He went to the cross, today you are forgiven and you are made the righteousness of God in Christ. This is warfare. I just read from the Word. Your warfare is to believe that you are righteous in Him. Your warfare is to believe that you are justified when you believe in what He has done for you. Your warfare is to believe that because of His blood, your sins are forgiven. Your warfare is to believe that He was made poor, that you may be made rich. So when you face a financial crisis in your life and you start to worry, your warfare is to believe that because of what Christ has done, you shall be provided for. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My cup runs over. Amen. You will have more than enough. Your warfare is to remember all that He has done for you at the cross. Apply that into your thought life. When the fear comes in, oh, you know what they say, when a man turns 50 years old, he better watch out for this, watch out for that, this cancer is coming, that is coming, reject that. 
right? Not because of how healthy you are, you know, how organic you eat, how often you exercise. All this is good, right? And God knows some of us need to do these things, <laughs> right? Please don't stop doing them. And if you are not doing them, please start. <laughs> but your trust is not in them. Your trust is not in them. Your trust is in the Lord. Amen? It's not in how well you eat. It's not in how, how frequent you exercise. It is in Jesus Christ. He went to the cross. He took my diseases and my pains and by His stripes, I'm healed. That is the obedience of Christ. So your warfare is to remember what Jesus has done for you. Don't try to overcome sinful thoughts by coming against it. Overcome sinful thoughts by believing what the Lord has done for you. Amen? The thing is this, when you focus on sin, sin will get larger and larger. But you, when you focus on Christ, His love and His grace for you, sin will get smaller and smaller. Amen? It is the work of Christ that we need to focus on. Not what we can do, but what He has done for us at the cross. Amen? So this is warfare. This is what Pastor wants me to tell you. He's saying we need to come against the thinking that grace is basic. That grace is, you know, when you go to Bible school, you just learn grace, you're usually in the first few lessons, right? Oh, then after that you move on. You move on to other things. Actually, grace is everything. It is the start. It is the middle, the journey. It is the ending. And not only that, but in the ages to come. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Grace is only for this life. No, grace is not just for this life, but in the ages to come. In the ages to come, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. Can we show up the, the verse? Okay. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It doesn't just end here when our life ends on earth. God is going to show you His kindness even in the ages to come. God will always be kind towards you. Whew. Not angry. Whew. He's not going to judge you. Whew. Amen. This is what we need to believe in. Amen. This is warfare. I just read it. So what's our warfare? Even, you know, we, we, we sang the beautiful song, Seated with Him. Right, you know, Watchman Lee wrote a, a book, a little book, on the book of Ephesians, Sit, Walk, Stand. Right? And he went through the book of Ephesians saying, first, before you can walk, you need to realize you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is where you really are. That's where you get your identity from. When you know you are seated, then you can walk. Then you can stand. Stand speaks of warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. If you look at the pieces of armor, everything has to do with the gospel and His finished work. The helmet of salvation. You are saved. The belt of truth. Right? It's talking about the Word of God. Actually, it's the Word of Christ. Amen? The shield of faith. Breastplate of righteousness. You need to know you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Even the weapons... All, the, all our armor pieces and the sword of the Spirit, it is all about the gospel, all about His finished work. It's not actually wearing these armor pieces and going to war every day. Have you done that before? 
I put on the helmet of salvation. Right? I put on the breastplate. You know, you can do all that, but you don't, if you don't understand what is righteousness, how can you put it on? Right? And many believers still think that righteousness is a measurement of their behavior. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is a gift from God. God gave it to you when you believe in His Son. It is a gift. When He gives it, He doesn't take it away. Right? Like some lousy boyfriend right, who wants to marry you, right? He gives you a ring, but when he breaks up with you, he wants to take it back. That's not God. <laughs> when He gives, He gives. Amen? And there are some changes that are irreversible. Right? I shared this, right? If you fold a piece of paper into half, you can open it. It's reversible. But if you burn a piece of paper, it is irreversible. Irreversible change. Can I say this? Right? When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you, maybe you don't even know this. When your heart believes and your mouth confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and you are born again, right? It is irreversible. Can I say this? Jesus says, I give them eternal life and no man can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Amen? In Romans chapter 8, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor power, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor this and that, nor any other created thing is able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. E Reversible. Oh, but what about this verse? You know something? What about this verse? What about that verse? Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, 1 Peter. You know what? Can we let the clarity of certain passages and scriptures in the Bible lead us and guide us in our walk? Do not let an obscure passage you find in the Bible or an isolated incident that seems to suggest otherwise, rob you of the joy of passages and scriptures that are certain. Amen? John 3.16 is very certain. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should never perish but have everlasting life. It's certain. It is certain. It is clear. So do not let obscure passages rob you of certain joy. So this is where I want to answer the questions that you have raised. First one, what about the fear of God? You know, I've answered that before, not here, but I'll answer it again. What about the fear of God? You know, I made a study <laughs> on the fear of God in the Old Testament and the New, right? And I realized that having the fear of God is one thing that will bring untold blessings into a person's life. That's what I realized when I read the Old Testament. But what about the fear of God? I think the challenge is, many people are saying that if you don't teach people the fear of God, and when they talk about the fear of God, they're saying to be actually, literally afraid of God, like you will be afraid of snakes. The fear of God of what He might do to you if you sin. Am I right to say that? In essence, when people talk about the fear of God, they're saying you need to teach people a healthy dose of God's fear so that when they have a fear of God, and they call it healthy, a healthy dose of God's fear, they will not sin. They say do this in the youth ministry especially. Look at these young people with their hormones, you know, running wild, right? How do we keep them from sin? 
tell them the fear of God. If you tell them the fear of God, they will not sin. Really? Right? Oh, but pastor, I will have you know that the fear of God is in the Bible. Yes, it's in the Bible. I know it's in the Bible. I don't dispute that. The fear of God, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, Thou shalt fear, there we have it, the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. Deuteronomy 6, 13. Right? Do you have it up? You can take a look. Yeah, you shall fear. There it is. Old Testament. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and shall take oaths in His name. And if you read Exodus 19, we do have time to go to Exodus 19. But before God gave the law in Exodus 20, right, God appeared to the Israelites in Exodus 19. And He told them, I've carried you on eagle's wings, I've brought you up, blah, 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 right? Right? And you need to read it, okay? Sorry, I shouldn't say blah, blah, blah. It's... <laughs> Please read it for yourself. We have limited time. You gave me too many questions. Actually, it's just two. <laughs> I talk too much, so I'm trying to watch the time here. And So it says, Exodus 19, and there's a verse that says, right, that God wants to put the fear, His fear upon them so they would not sin. Right? So understand the fear of God. It is there. Right? And I know where you're coming from. I do not dispute that. But the thing is this, because of the cross, everything has changed. Everything has changed. We cannot live in the Old Testament today without understanding and interpreting the Old Testament scriptures through the cross, through the lens of the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ has made the world of a difference, my friend. Everything has changed. When Jesus paid for the sins of man and went to the cross, everything has changed. Amen? You need to understand that. Don't read the Old Testament like you would read the New Testament today. No. Everything has changed. How you read the Old Testament must be also through the lens of the cross. In fact, when you read the Old Testament, you must bring Jesus out, His person and His finished work. Amen? In Genesis, He's the seed of the woman that will crush the serpent's head. In Exodus, He's the Passover lamb. Leviticus is the five offerings. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day, right? The pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the one, the holy one, right? Who is our holy judge. You need to understand the Old Testament by seeing Christ. Because that's what Jesus said on the route to Emmaus, Luke 24. Two disciples, right? They were sent and downcast, right? After all that has happened in Jerusalem, right? Because of the death of Jesus, so they were walking and Jesus appeared, veiled himself, came before them and told them and explained the scriptures in the Old Testament, telling them about him and his finished work. This is how we need to interpret the Old Testament today. Amen. So Deuteronomy 6.13, Thou shalt fear the Lord. Teach them fear. But do you know that this portion of scripture was quoted by our Lord in the temp uh, temptation in the wilderness. Turn with me right now to Matthew chapter 4. If you've got a good Bible, you'll realize that there is a footnote, a cross-reference. Deuteronomy 6.13 was actually quoted by our Lord in Matthew chapter 4. 
So we're going to do a little bit of Bible study tonight, amen? Always let the Bible interpret the Bible. We cannot interpret the Scriptures using our own human culture and understanding. For example, Psalm 23. I've heard that there was a man who preached on Psalm 23 and he used his culture to interpret Psalm 23 and he says that a shepherd, when he finds out that one of the sheep is straying from the flock, the shepherd will go to the flock and break the leg of the sheep, right? So that the sheep will learn never to stray again. And he said that that is what the Lord will do. My friend, that's not in the Bible. You're adding to the Bible. You're using your specific culture, right, to put your perspective into God's Word, and that is not right. We cannot use our human understanding and whatever our culture may be to interpret God's Word. That is why we need to study Jewish customs and cultures as well. But the Scripture will always be the highest authority. We always go back to the Scripture. Even everything that I share with you tonight, everything that I say, please be a good Berean and examine every word that I say. Examine, right, with the Scriptures, which is our number one authority, and find out whether what I say is true or not. I don't claim to know everything. Definitely not. Look at me. Come on. Who knows everything, right? Actually, Pastor Tony, you're close to that. Almost. <laughs> Almost to omniscience. Almost. <laughs> Just, you know, you're telling me about, you know, this uh, uh, national football player, you know, who's a Christian, who's not. He knows, he knows a lot of things. <laughs> he impresses me. Right? And so we need to go back always to the Word of God. Right? Examine me. Judge my preaching. Amen? With the Holy Scriptures. Let the Scriptures be our number one authority. So, Jesus quoted this verse when He was tempted in the wilderness. The devil came to Him and say, showed Him, you know, all the riches of the world, right? And say, all this I will give to you. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Do you see that? And he was taking a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. But wait, there's a difference. In the old, it is thou shalt fear. But when Jesus quoted this verse, he changed it. How can Jesus quote the Old Testament wrongly? He can because he wrote it. He understands it better than anyone else. He's God. Right, if I'm the writer of a book, I think I have the right to tell you exactly what it means. You think so? And he translated fear to worship. So should we teach fear today? Yes, we should teach, but Jesus has taught us what is fear. It is worship. Reverential awe. Amen. 
God wants us to worship Him, not have a fear of Him like we are afraid that, you know, His baseball bat is going to hit us on the head when we sin. God wants us to worship Him. Amen? When we worship Him, that is what it's all about. Amen? Worship is a response to His love. Tithing is a response to His love. I know that there are some grace preachers who teach that, you know, we don't need to tie because it's not um, under grace, you don't have to tie, right? But can I say this? Tithing was never under the law in the first place. Tithing was before the law. The occurrence of tithing occurred when King Melchizedek went to Abraham with bread and wine after he won the victory. And when Abraham met King Melchizedek, he gave him a tithe. Right? The bread and wine speaks of the Holy Communion, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. The bread is His broken body. The blood speaks of His shed blood that has brought forgiveness of our sins. And when Abraham met King Melchizedek, he tied. Because of the finished work, we tie. Tithing is worship. Amen? We don't tie because we have to. We tie because we want to. It is worship. How do we worship today? We give something that costs us something. Right? David, when he bought a field, right, the person who owned the field told him, Aruna, right, told him, hey, you know what? Give you for free. David said, no, I will not have it for free because I will not give something to God that costs me nothing. Right? That is why we tie. Right? Our money speaks of our blood, sweat, and tears, our time, our very life. Right? We give 10% to show that we honor God. We worship Him. That is why we tie. But you know what? Tithing is not for everyone. Okay? I didn't say that because, you know, Pastor Tony asked me to say that. I already wanted to say that, and I told him that. I already wanted to say this, right, when I came for this uh, conference. I want to mention this, and I'm not asking you to tie, right? Like, you know, you're under the... No, it's not for everyone, right? But if you believe in it because you have a revelation that you want to worship God, Right, with something that costs you something, then tie. And it's beautiful. You don't have to, you get to. You worship the Lord with your giving. Amen. It is a response. The response to the finished work, as Abraham did, the father of our faith, right, is to tie. So that is how we honor God today. That is why and how we worship Him today. With our tithes and our offerings. Amen. So Jesus interpreted the fear of God as worship. But not just that. Let me give you New Testament scriptures to tell you so that you can be absolutely certain that God doesn't want you to fear Him today. Amen? And we do not need to put people under the fear of God so that they will not sin. Put people under the love of God and they will not sin. It's not the fear of God. It is the love of God. Amen? It is the love of God that will constrain your heart. It's the love of God that will cause you to become a better husband, right? A responsible father, right? An integrous man. It is the love of God that will change you from the inside out. We're not talking about outward behavior modification. It's about inward heart transformation. What's the point of not committing adultery outwardly, right? But in your mind, you are struggling with lust all the time, right? You know, do you know something? True holiness is when God transforms your heart. Listen, when I say this, I just want to say this, right? Be patient with yourself. You are growing, right? Be patient. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
not fruit of John, not fruit of Henry. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let Him do His beautiful work in you. One day at a time. Focus on receiving His love and grace every day, right? And His love will transform you. The evil desires and habits, they will fall off. But don't focus on overcoming them because you can't, right? Without Him, you can do nothing. Don't focus on being holy. Focus on Him. Look to Him and you will become holy. Amen? Amen? You know, I shared this, uh, I think I want to share this again. Right? It says in First Peter, right? It says, be holy for I am holy. I shared this and I shared it fast, but I want to share it again. You know, we've heard that verse before, right? And people can use that verse and it can be a New Testament imperative and commandment that is tough and that is hard. It's easy to preach that. I can preach that anytime. Be holy, for God is holy. Oh, oh, is that from the Old Testament? It's from the Old and the New. It's quoted by Peter. But you see, if you just preach to people to, and tell them to be holy, right, it's again the law. You tell them to do something that they don't have the power to do, right? You're frustrating them. You're not setting them up for success. But it says in First Peter, can we turn to it quickly? Right? It says, in First Peter, right, let's read that portion of Scripture. It says in verse 15, and it is in the New Testament. Are we supposed to be holy? Yes, we are. Can I just say this? We are for holiness, okay? Right? You look like you're in shock. <laughs> you shouldn't be. We are all for holiness. Every church is for holiness. Come on, what are you talking about? Right? 100%. But how do we get there? That's the key. Verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Heard that before? It's good. Good preaching. But you must read the verse that's before it. How do you be holy? How? Don't just tell them to be. How? Don't you think how is important? Because it says in verse 13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, listen, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You cannot preach one without preaching the other. How can you preach holiness without grace? Without grace, there can be no holiness. Because under the law for 1,500 years, no one was holy. Everyone failed. But today, under grace, without trying, we become. Amen? And I, I told you, right? You know, you see this file? I have more than 70 testimonies right, of people who've been delivered right, from lifelong addictions like pornography, drugs, alcohol, sexual deviation. We read it, right? We read about the guy, you know, who went to prostitutes and how God delivered him, right? More than 20 testimonies of marriages restored. Marriages heading for divorce, they were restored. And more than 60 testimonies of people who have been healed. I'm sharing all this to tell this is but a fraction of the number of testimonies we receive. Lives are being transformed. And they say, right, critics have said, naysayers, 
have come against us and say, you know what, you preach grace and the forgiveness of sins is causing people to sin more. Let me tell you this, that's not the case. Someone said that in New Creation Church, the church have people who are unfocused, lazy, who doesn't serve God, who live loose lives. They said it and put it in the book. Can I say this? You've never been to my church. I've been in New Creation Church for more than 20 years. I don't see that. Someone who doesn't belong to our church tell me that my church is full of unfocused people who doesn't want to serve, who live loose life. That's not what I see. And I'm a pastor of this church. I can tell you what I know. But can I, can I say this? Our church is not perfect, okay? Like your church. <laughs> no church is. There are people who fail and there are people who fall. Come on. But that is not our church. And Pastor Tony and Pastor Patsy, Reverend Cole, you've been with us. You know what a church is about. Is it perfect? No, it's not. Right? But we are people who are serving the Lord, loving the Lord. Lives are being transformed. You know, I met a man. I remember I was just at a coffee shop. Right? Uh, I, was, I was with... Uh, with Pastor Prince, you know, we just, I think we were on the way to a, to a meeting. So we were just like having coffee just before the meeting, right? And this guy came out and, you know, he came out, no, no, Pastor, i got to share with you something. He came out and he told us, he said, you know, I was on the brink of divorce. We were already like going to sign the papers, right? But I came to a new creation church, right? And when I started hearing about the grace of God, right, everything changed. And now, right, my wife and I, we have got back together. These are the things that we hear about. Amen. You want holiness? We want holiness too. What makes you think that? We want unholiness. Have you ever met a church who wants? Come on! Right? You think that our church can exist for so many years in Singapore and doing what it's doing now all over the world because we are, you know, a flesh in a pan? Right? We are cow. Really? <laughs> really? You know, it made me want to laugh. Right? No, it's... No, but enough of me telling you about what my church is. But I'll tell you this, right? This brings results. This brings the results you want. You want in your life? By the way, don't just think that it's for your people, okay? It's for you. Do you want to live a life where you wake up every day and realize, wow, this is a life worth living? Not struggling, right? I'm telling you, I'm sharing with you the secret. Grace stops sin. Grace kills sin. Grace gives you joy in your heart, peace in your conscience, a hope knowing that God loves you and He's coming back for you. Grace makes you a secure man. Amen? And whatever habits you have, right, it's not by you overcoming them, Right, when you receive God's love, His unmerited favor, He changes you from the inside out. Amen? It's all about Him. It is not about you. Amen? So coming back to the fear of God, right? I say that there are other scriptures, right? It says in 1 John chapter 4. So are we supposed to be under the fear of God today? No, we are not. It says in 1 John chapter 4, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For he who fears has not been made perfect in the love that God has for him. Do you see that? Let me give you the exact uh, portion of Scripture. Verse 18, chapter 4. There is no fear in love. God is love. Does God want you to fear Him today? No, my friend. 
No, my friend. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. There's another verse in, I think, the book of Romans. For we... Okay, sorry, I need to refer to my notes. For God has not given us... A, no, 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 that's First Timothy. Let me give you the right one. Should be good, okay? <laughs> if, I can, if I can find it, it's somewhere in the Bible, my friend. Right? It's between Genesis and Revelation. There's a verse that tells us that we are not under fear. Just you need to find it, okay? <laughs> Romans 8.15. Praise God. I need to write notes. Right? <laughs> we need notes. Notes are our friend. Romans 8.15. Can we, uh, let's take a look at this verse. So I want to give you more than one portion of Scripture to let you realize that God is not interested in you being fearful of Him today. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba! God is your Father today. Don't be afraid of Him. We have not come to Mount Sinai where it is a mountain that is burning with thunder and lightning, where even an animal touches it, it will be shot through by an arrow. We have come to Mount Zion. The new has come. It's a new covenant. A better covenant established on better promises. Don't be afraid of God. God loves you. God is for you, my friend. And God loves you. Amen. But can I just say this? You know, this is uh, getting a little bit deeper, okay? Right? Getting a little bit deeper, right? But the day will come. We are now in the age of grace. Okay. You know, I just want to go, look, is there a fear? Should we fear God at all? We shouldn't fear God as believers. Okay, but can I share this? Okay, I want to be very accurate to, uh, to the Bible. Right? The Bible does say, right, there will be a day of judgment. You know that, right? There will be a day of judgment, right? Not for us, we are safe. But there is a day of judgment if anyone rejects Christ. You see, when a pardon is given to you and you reject the, co- the, the pardon, right? There's no pardon anymore, right? So if you reject Christ, if you do reject, I know that none of you here, you reject Him. But if you do, then the day will come where the Lord will come as judge, Right? And that day, right, those who do not have his son, you know, it will be a fearful day, okay? Right? It is the truth. So are we, but that's not the fear that God wants us to have. You understand? Every time we talk about this, you need to understand, you are the beloved of God. But for the people of the world who reject Christ, right, God loves them. In this age of grace, God loves them, right? But we must also know that one day, he will come as judge, you know, Rightly so. Rightly so. He needs to put everything right. Right? And those who reject Christ, there's no forgiveness. You need to understand that. So we don't believe in universalism. Can I just say this? We don't. Right? Jesus talked about hell, the lake of fire, where the worm dies not, right? And the fire is not quenched. Right? There is a hell for people who will reject Him. We don't believe that, oh, everyone is safe. God is so good and loving. That, no, 
that's not what the Bible says. The Bible must always be our authority. Okay? But today, you need to know this. You do not need to be afraid of your Father. He calls Himself your Father. Amen? Do I want my children to be afraid of me? My children, at the end of the day, I know that sometimes they are afraid of me because they make mistakes, you see. <laughs> and I've corrected them before. And that's because they are young. Okay, I'm not sure if you agree, but... Right, I do correct them. You mean you don't? <laughs> I correct them and, you know, they are. Right, but in their hearts, they always know that I love them. And if they don't, if they're afraid of me all the time, they'll grow up warped, you know. They'll hate me. Because whom you are afraid of, you will hate. So pastors, make sure you don't... <laughs> Your people should not be afraid of God and they also should not be afraid of you. Because if they are, right, the fear will lead to hate. And we all know this, fear is the path to the dark side. <laughs> okay, you don't, right? Yoga, sorry man, did I quote from Star Wars? <laughs> fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate, right? So... <laughs> So we need a, no, no, sorry, that's not from the Bible, please. <laughs> that's not from the Bible. Yeah, I know, I know, just kidding around, right? But fear is to the dark side, right? That's what I understand. And so God doesn't want us to fear Him today. Amen. And when it comes to the day of judgment, can I just say this? Because I mentioned that and I can sense that some of you are pretty scared about the day of judgment, right? You shouldn't be, okay? Right? You are the children of the Most High God. You will not be judged. Judgment has passed. Let's read this, okay? It says this in verse 17, right? Verse 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. See that? You need to have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. Woo! So no fear of judgment. Judgment has passed. Amen? But yet, as, as Christians, we need to know that there will be a day of judgment, right? But judgment has passed, right? It will never come upon us, right? We have boldness because as He is, so are we in this world. Amen? Amen. You know, my time is up, <laughs> right? And uh, there's many more things to share, right? I don't, I don't have time to answer um, the other question, because that will take at least uh, another 15 minutes, right? But I want to end off with this, right? So, you know what? You don't have to wait for me, right? I, I'm, can I promote my own pastor? Is that all right? You know, can I tell you this? Um, I, I shared this. I'm, I, I shared it fast. I'm not sure if you caught it. Let me just share with you how I live my life. Because many times you hear about grace, right? But I want you to know how I live my life. Right, I, I mentioned this quickly, but I want to mention this again. Just a quick note. All right. So, how do I live? I know that I need grace every day. But how do I receive grace? How do I literally receive grace? How does God impart grace to me? I know I need to be at rest. I know like, I can't earn it. Right? But I want to tell you the mode of delivery in God's system today. Listen carefully now. Right, I receive grace by listening to the gospel. Right? So I listen every day. Right? And it's not just 
anyone, I make sure that the person I'm listening to preaches the gospel, but I listen, you know, a variety. I just like to listen, right? But I particularly give attention to listening to the gospel being preached, right? Is it scriptural? Yes, it is. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of, now in the New King James, it says God, right? Word of God, theos in the Greek, but it's not. Right, New King James, in that instance, in that instance, right, I don't think it's accurate uh, to the original Greek. The New Testament is written in Greek. But it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Christos. That's the difference. Because the word of God is the entire Bible. It's the word of God. The Ten Commandments is also the word of God. But it says the word of Christ. So if you want faith to come, right, you need to listen to the word of Christ. Christos. The word of Christ refers to the person and the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, preaching on Him. When you listen to the word of Christ, your faith will come. This is how you practically receive God's grace every day. Can I, can I just tell this? Can you just do an experiment? You've got nothing to lose, right? You try this, okay? You just take, right? And I know that, you know, a lot of the pastors here, they preach grace. Take their sermons, if you want, you can take Pastor Prince's sermons, which I highly recommend, and listen. Right? And you know, listening is so easy. God has made it easy, you know. When you read, you need to really focus. When you study the Word of God, right? When you read the Bible, you can't be like driving. I hope you don't. <laughs> My advice is don't. Right? It's like you, you can't. When you read, you read. It's like full-on attention. But, and, and reading is good, okay? I'm not saying reading is not good. I'm just saying listening is easy. Even audio books, right? You can listen when you drive, right? You can listen, you know, when you go to the gym, when you go for a walk, right? Even for, you know, those of you who's at home, when you wash the dishes, you can listen. Even when you go to shower, you can listen. Do you know, even before you go to sleep, you can listen? Right? I know I do that. It's like, because between you putting your head on that pillow, right, and actually falling to sleep, that's a good 10 or 15 minutes, right, where it's like, you know, you're not really asleep, but yet you're going to fall to sleep. So that's when you just play for 15 minutes, anything, even just playing the scriptures, right? It's like something will go in because it's like you're at rest and something goes in. This is how I receive grace. Can I just tell you this? And I'm not putting down reading the Bible. I read the Bible. I've read the Bible cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, many times. Okay, and I'm not saying this, whoa. It's, no, I, I love it. It's my calling, amen? But you must understand, it's, but what gives me the most traction as a believer, not as a pastor, I want you to know I'm a believer too, like you. Right? I need to walk my, my faith walk too. It's my journey too. Amen? What has given me the most mileage is listening to the gospel. Because when you listen, faith comes. Amen? Give you a secret, okay? Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Okay, I didn't plan for this. Hope I get it right. It may be wrong, so. <laughs> so Mark chapter 4, Jesus talked about the parable of the soul and the seed. So this is, okay, we'll end, we'll end soon. <laughs> I promise. Okay, we just jump straight to the revelation. There's no, no time to explain, huh? <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Then he said to them, take heed. 
what you hear. Okay? With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. The next one I want to focus and highlight. Listen carefully. And to you who hear, more will be given. Stop. Do you see that? There's a revelation right there. If you can receive it, receive it. To you who hear, more will be given. Do you see it? Reading is a form of hearing too. But to you who hear, how can I receive more from God today? To you who hear, more will be given. In my Christian life, I found out this, that I can have a revelation of God's love today doesn't mean it will be there tomorrow. We lose it. I can be passionate about something today, a revelation in God's Word. I can lose it because the devil comes to steal the Word, the seed that falls by the wayside. Remember? So we need to keep on hearing. I love kangaroo meat, but I don't just want to eat it once in my life and forget about it. I want to eat it over and over again. Actually, not kangaroo meat, but steak, right? I want to eat a good steak over and over and over again. In Singapore, we love chicken rice. I don't just want to eat chicken rice once. I need to eat it over and over and over again. Amen? So to him, that's the secret. To hear, more will be given. Okay? So praise God. I want to end off with this. Last point and we're done. All right? We have a, actually, we have a wonderful testimony, but I don't think we can show it. Can I just say this? Right? The forgiveness of sins that we touch on. You know, you mentioned so much. Is it really so important? You know, all this grace, you know, that you're talking about. Really, is it important? Can I just tell this? Can I just say this? Can I say that it is the most important? Okay? Because the Bible says it. Not me. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll end with this. What is the most important truth that we should emphasize on? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Apostle Paul is speaking here and he says this, For I delivered to you first of all. Do you see that? But in the Greek, you know what does first of all means? Of first importance. Number one priority. Number one, that which I also receive, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. And it goes on to say about Christ, right? That He was buried and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, right? And He was seen by this and that and this and that. You can read it on your own. But this is of first importance, first importance. Christ died for our sins. Amen. We are forgiven, my friend. Stop holding your sin against yourself. And when you know you are forgiven, you can also forgive those who have sinned against you. No, bitterness is a problem even in the church. I know that. I'm a pastor. You know, because of bitterness, people can leave church, you know. Right? Friends can become enemies. And these are Christians. Right? But how do we get people to forgive? I find that one of the hardest things to counsel. It's like, you know, we can talk about healing. You know, we can give people guidance, you know, when it comes to employment. But when it, when it comes to forgiveness, it's like, it's up to the individual, right? But how do you get them to forgive? We want that. We want our people to forgive, but how? How do you get them to forgive, right? 
we forgive because God in Christ has forgiven us. It's a cycle of grace. You want them to forgive, right? But how? Tell them that they are forgiven. When they are forgiven, right, they will forgive. And Jesus said this, right, those who are forgiven much will love much. Remember the prostitute that broke the alabaster of ointment for the Lord and cried over him, right? So Jesus told the Pharisee, Simon, right, that, hey, you know, I came to, to your house, you didn't give water for my feet, but this woman, you know, she has not stopped washing my feet with her tears, right? And then Jesus told, right, the Pharisee, hey, you know what, right, there's this creditor, right, and there were two people who owed this creditor money. One owed him $10, the other owed him a million dollars. He forgave them both. Who will love him more? Right, the one who was forgiven a million dollars, right? And Jesus said, right, he who is forgiven much will love much. Amen? This is what it's all about. This is what it, we want our people to love, right? To love their wives, but How? Just tell them to love. The Bible doesn't say, husbands, love your wives. No. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit as unto the Lord. The Lord is involved. His love for you is involved. Don't take Him out of the equation. The imperatives and commandments in the New Testament, they are not meant for you to obey by your own strength. You need to know God's love then you will love. You need to know that God has forgiven you. Then you will be forgiven. Amen? And you know something? When you understand the forgiveness of sins, therein lies your healing. Last one, last one. Okay? And you can go. <laughs> last one. Right? Last one, revelation, I hope. <clears throat> when you understand the forgiveness of your sins, Right, you'll be healed. It says in last one, okay? First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Quick, 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 quickly. This preachers from Singapore. They don't respect our time. First Peter 2, 24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we having died to sins might live unto righteousness. I just want you to take note of a punctuation mark today. Do you see after the word righteousness, you see there two dashes, right? In some of your Bibles, if you have it, it is a colon. Or it is a long dash. Do you see that? Have you all seen it? Don't just say, I'm not just saying, okay, anyway, it's on screen, right? So do you see the, the two dash? Actually, it should be a long dash. Right, this punctuation mark means equivalent to, equals. You know equal? Yes, you do, huh? Aussies know equal. Praise God. And because the two truths are equivalent. When you realize, right, you have died to your sins, you are completely forgiven. Jesus has put an end to your sin. He has put away your sins, right? And today you are the righteousness of God in Christ by faith in Him, Right? It is equivalent to by whose stripes you were healed. You were healed. Right? It's a long dash. It means equivalent. 
That's why when Jesus healed someone in Luke chapter 7, right, the man who's paralyzed, they dropped him through the roof, his friends, right? And they were saying, oh, then the first thing that Jesus told the guy was this, right? Son, your sins are forgiven you. Then all the Pharisees, oh, oh, who is this man who can even forgive? Say, what is this? Right? And Jesus said, which is easier to say? His sins are forgiven or rise up, take out your bed and walk? Which is easier to say? It's easy to say your sins are forgiven. Let's be honest. Right? I know only God can forgive sins, but which is easier to say? It's easy to say because it cannot be quantified. Right? It cannot be objectified. You cannot qualify it. I can tell you your sins are forgiven. Whether you're really forgiven or not, who knows? Right? But if I tell you you're paralyzed and I say, rise up, take care of your bed and walk. If you can't do it, I'm a false prophet. But Jesus said that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He told the man, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And he did. Proving that he is God. He's proving that he's God. Because he can forgive sins and he can heal the sick. So the two are linked. Right? When you know you're forgiven, come on guys, you need to know and believe. Grab hold of this truth that I am forgiven. Amen? When you know, right, healing will break forth in your body like never before. Amen? This is what we need to know. These are the truths that we need to emphasize on today. The forgiveness of sins. Justification by faith. Right? We are loved by God with an everlasting love. His grace is towards us today. We are blessed not because of how good we are, but how good He is. It is a good life. It is a blessed life. It is the abundant life. The Christian walk is beautiful. You can wake up every day knowing that God is for you and it's a life worth living, my friend. And even if you fail, His mercies are new every morning. Can I just say this? Right? Can I just tell you something about yourself? I just be a prophet and just tell you this you will fail. I don't want you to fail, okay? I don't want myself to fail. But what if you do? And that's the truth. You may. Then can I say this? Can I say this? Right? His grace is there. Underneath are the everlasting arms. Always there. Right? Don't write yourself off. Amen? A Bruce Reed, he will not break. And a smoking flax, he will not quench. Do you know what's that? A Bruce Reed in Israel, right? Along the marshes, there will be long blades of grass called reed, right? Little children will take those long blades, they will break it, right? They'll poke some holes and they'll make it into a flute, right? This happens, this grass is grown all over the marshes, right, in Israel. So they use it and they'll play music. But if it is bruised, you know, if it is bruised, it's useless. You just throw it away. Because what, what use is a blade of grass, right? Throw it away. Right? What is a smoking flax? Flax is the wick in an oil lamp. Right? So when the wick comes to an end, right, it will give out a lot of smoke. What you do is you take out the wick, you throw it away, and you put in a new wick. So a smoking flax is useless. It's a wick. You know what's a wick, right? So you throw it away. But Jesus says, a bruised reed, he will not break. And a smoking flax, he will not quench. Jesus loves you. 
right? I do not know who you are, what kind of mistakes and failures you made in your life. I only know this. I know that His grace and His mercy and His love is greater than your failure. There is always a second chance, a third chance in Him. But you need to receive His grace. And people think, oh, when you preach like that, you are empowering people to fail. Am I? Do you want to fail? Who wants to fail here, honestly? No one. We are born again, right? But I need to tell you the truth that will keep you. I need to tell you the truth that will make you holy. I need to tell you the truth that will stop sin in its track in your life, right? We all want the same results, but how do we get there? And people are criticizing this message and saying, oh, it's a license to sin. Really? And I have the testimonies, you know, and my life is a testimony. And many more around the world and through the ages of, of Christianity. How can anyone be holy without the grace of God? You tell me. Right? And we beat our people with more rules and regulation. That's not the way, my friend. It is grace. It is His love. Amen? When you receive His love, you'll be transformed. Amen? And you need to receive His love again over and over again. He loves you. He went to the cross and He died for your sins. We have a wonderful Savior. His name is Jesus. Amen. You know what is the most beautiful thing about Him? Right? I remember this portion in Isaiah 53. He said, like a lamb led to the slaughter, He opened not His mouth. He was meek to the very end, you know. It's so beautiful. I mean, our Lord, you know, you know He has all the power. At any point, right, He can call the angels. He doesn't even need His God. You know, there was, when he, they came to arrest Him in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, they came. They, Who are you seeking? seeking? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I am, right? And the Bible says that they all fell back. And do you know what I believe? Not only did they fall back, but He held them there. So all of them were on the floor and they couldn't move. So Jesus held them there to demonstrate His power, but He released it and they got up. I tell you, they must have been afraid. It was His God, you know. Right, and they came and, and what happened was Peter took his knife and went after one of the high priest's servants, Malchus, his name. Chopped off, he went for the neck, but took, took off the guy's ear. In the midst of that confusion, and all that chaos, right? Jesus took the guy's ear and restored his ear. <laughs> love your enemies. This is our God. His love is amazing. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, um, <laughs> we cannot end. Can we ask the keyboardists to come? We, can we just end with a prayer? Amen? You know, we, we talk about the love and the grace of God, right? But it must be received. It cannot just be a message. It cannot just be knowledge. You know, God's love must be received in our hearts. And He loves you so much. Can we just close our eyes just for a moment? And I know He's here. And I know He loves you. Thank you, Jesus. 
God, you are beautiful. now in this place my child I have loved you with an everlasting love you know I just want to pray for you tonight I don't know who you are I don't know what you have done but God knows everything about you every failure every sin He knows you more than you even know yourself and God tells you today, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have forgiven you of every sin and every failure in your life. You are precious to me. I gave you my life. I shed my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Everything that you need in this life, I paid for at the cross. I have redeemed you. You are my child and I love you. Receive that. Lord, tonight we lift up every person here. Lord, we thank you. Lord, who are we that you should love us so much? Lord, let there be a revolution of your grace, of your love in our hearts. This is what it's all about, Lord. Lord, we receive your love afresh in our lives. Lord, change us from the inside out. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a life 
worth living. Lord, I pray for every person here. Lord, I pray for them. That Lord, you will bless them. That you will keep them. That they will always see you. Your love and your grace in their lives. And Lord, that you will prosper them in all things. Keep them in good health, even as their soul prospers. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.